Good morning, everyone. I hope you have a cup of coffee at the ready, because this is Roast West Coast Classics, Volume 2. Let me explain. First off, hello, hi, I'm Ryan Wolt. I've been hosting the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast for three full seasons. We are currently on hiatus for the holidays, while we gear up for Season 4, which is coming in early 2022, but I didn't want to leave you without some great coffee content. I'll be checking in with you each week with some updates, some coffee news, and short interviews from the road. And because I've noticed a lot of new listeners coming aboard in our most recent season, we are re-airing some of the classic Coffee Smarter Coffee Education shorts from the first few seasons. Also, I'm going back to listen to these shows myself just because we've covered so much information and I honestly don't remember it all. Coffee doesn't come naturally to me. I have to work at it, and repetition is my best friend. This coffee show launched in the earliest days of COVID. And at the time, I was recording Google Meet video chats on my phone from the bedroom while my wife worked in the living room. I've upgraded since then to a mini studio in the closet, and you're the first to know that in 2022, we're going to be going on the road and doing some in-person interviews. Omicron and future coronaviruses named Starscream or whatever permitting. And I also have some exciting news today. Danny Riggins, the owner of Altrea Coffee and Tea, is going to be the very first guest interviewed for Season 4. In the newsletter, I'll link to their website where I learned that Altrea means journey onward, which is exactly what we're doing with this show, albeit first by going back to the beginning to listen to these classics episodes. If you want to go back and listen to all of the Roast West Coast Coffee Smarter and interview episodes from the beginning, you can do that on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also head to RoastWestCoast.com to stream the shows, read the newsletter, and if you feel so inclined, please subscribe for free or choose to pay for a monthly or annual subscription. The newsletter subscriptions really help me continue creating this content. Thank you for supporting this show and by extension the entire craft coffee community. I'm glad you're here sharing the coffee experience with us. On this Classics reissue, I'm going back to Season 1, Weeks 4 and 5 of our Coffee Smarter series. We covered the coffee cupping or tasting process that roasters and cafe owners go through when choosing the coffees that they're going to roast or sell, and then we flow right into the Week 5 episode where we dug into the different types of coffee processing, which you often see referenced in a coffee's name or on the bag, with terms like washed or natural. As always, our expert had all of the answers for us. Right now, I need you to refill that coffee mug and settle in under a warm blanket, because it has been chilly on the coast, and it's time for the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast Classics Edition, Volume 2. Chris, welcome back to Roast West Coast. Uh, thank you for helping us get coffee smarter once again. I hope a million people came by the shop and asked you about blueberries last week. Uh, but this week, I want to ask you about cupping. What is cupping and what can we learn from it? I think it leads a little bit into our conversation last week about the flavor wheel. Absolutely. You know, cupping is a fancy name for coffee tasting is really the, the long and short of it. You know, last week we wait. Whoa, 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 whoa! So, are you saying there's a little bit of pretension in coffee tasting? Uh, you know, it's not so much I'm saying it. It's sort of that the world has said that there's pretension in coffee tasting. I got you. 
but you know that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. We can we can find positives in the world of pretension that we find ourselves in. Absolutely. <laughs> so you know, last week we talked about being mindful of what we're tasting. You know, sort of paying attention to what's happening um, to our taste buds and and to what our brain is picking out when we're tasting something. So you're drinking your cup of coffee. It tastes bitter and dark like your soul. And you're like, whoa, that sort of tastes like dark chocolate. And, and by your soul, I'm specifically talking about your soul, Ryan. Yep, I got it. Not the viewer's souls, just, just yours. Anyway, cupping as coffee tasting is actually the way that coffee professionals taste coffee to give their palates the best chance to fully evaluate all the aspects of a cup of coffee. There's a whole ritual around it. You have these little ceramic bowls and you fill them with the grounds and you fresh grind it and you use the bowl to cup the scent that's rising off the the fresh ground coffee into your nose and mouth so that your sensory organs can fully process the scent of the coffee that's coming off of it. Because scent and taste are very closely related. They they both use the same nerve, the olfactory nerve going down from your nose and and your throat. And that scent is really important to helping you pick out flavors later in the process. So that's, that's the first stage of the ritual. Then you add the water to it. And once you add the water to it, chemical reactions start happening in the coffee. Extraction starts happening. Compounds start leaving the dry coffee grounds and entering the water. And we start smelling the coffee as it's steeping there with the water added. It forms a bit of a crust on top. The, uh, the coffee grounds, once they've had the water added, sort of form this, this crust on top of the bowl. And we use a special spoon, which is sort of a glorified soup spoon, um, to break that crust open after it's been sitting there for a few minutes. And that releases the scents that have been underneath the crust, the scents of the liquid coffee, and not just the grounds interacting with the water. So now the coffee is fully brewed, and there's enough compounds that have left the dry coffee grounds and entered the liquid coffee that we can now smell that liquid coffee through the broken crust that we've broken with the spoon. Then we remove the grounds that are floating on the top. We use two spoons to do that. We just scoop them off the top. It's kind of like cowboy coffee like that. We never actually filter this with any paper or cloth or metal. We just scoop those floating grounds off the top. And then you use this, those same spoons to slurp coffee loudly into your mouth. And that has also an effect where it cools the coffee enough for you to be able to taste it, but also by slurping it loudly, a nice that slurping noise, that slurping sound actually helps spread the coffee to the entirety of the inside of your palate so that all your taste buds can taste it all at once and send the most data back to your brain about what you're tasting. And then this goes on. You keep slurping loudly, the coffee itself cools, and you keep tasting it as it cools. The goal of that is to determine all the different flavors that are in it, and as a roaster, decide if you would like to serve that coffee, right? Right. So As a coffee shop owner, rather? Exactly. So people in different stages of coffee production use cupping, coffee cupping, for different purposes. So as a shop owner, I use cupping to evaluate a coffee and decide if I want to serve it, if I decide if it's if it's good enough for my shop. And I also use it to help identify specific flavors so that I can describe those coffees to customers. 
a coffee buyer, someone who goes to Guatemala or Brazil or Ethiopia to buy coffee from a coffee farm or a coffee producer of some sort, they are going to be evaluating the coffee and looking for defects. They're going to be looking for flaws in the agricultural product so that they can determine whether it's worthy for them to buy at all and then sell on to people like me. Interesting. Coffee cupping, because it really is this intense sensory overload of all the different flavors that are in coffee, and we discussed in a previous week that coffee is actually the most complex tasting beverage in the world. Well, that's 800 compounds in a cup of coffee is a lot for your mind to process. So having this ritual way of evaluating coffees can be really helpful for digesting all that information that you're getting when you're drinking that coffee. So yeah, coffee cupping can be used in those different ways, but the ritual behind it actually has this very practical application of allowing your physical abilities to fully digest the sensory implication and information that the coffee is bringing you. Very cool. I know, I think in all of these conversations I've been having with different roasters, the one thing they they all kind of harp on is consistency from week to week, whether it's in the coffee or in the brewing or whatever. And and having that one way, since they're tasting all of their, you know, their different variations kind of the same way over time helps create a process to maintain that consistency that our listeners are getting, you know, at their local shop week to week. Absolutely. Chris, that was great again. Thank you for joining and helping us get a little smarter about coffee today. Appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to our next chat. Oh, I always look forward to it, Ryan. I get to drink coffee and sit with you and tell you how much you don't know. Mr. Chris O'Brien, welcome back to the Roast West Coast podcast. Thanks for being here again to help us get coffee smarter. Great to be here. I always appreciate it. I'm actually looking at your menu right now online, and I see a bunch of words on there about the different coffees that you guys serve. Like if I were just to order a black cup of coffee, I might order something by their location of origin, like Ethiopia or Kenya or Costa Rica. Yep. But then there's always this kind of extra thing with it usually, like, Ethiopia natural or Ethiopia washed, what's the difference and what is that even referring to? You know, this is one of my favorite questions. And I know I tell you that almost every week, (laughs) but I actually really do love it. And one of the reasons we set up our menu the way we do is to encourage people to ask that and talk about this. So I remember working at a couple, a couple coffee shops ago, many coffee shops ago, a couple different shops would try to teach me what the answer to this question was, and it never really stuck with me until I really started thinking about the fact that coffee is a fruit. So coffee is a fruit. It's two beans inside a cherry. Again, we talked about that in a previous episode, but that really, really matters. (laughs) You know, it's not just this black liquid that we drink. It starts as a fruit. So people most often see the word natural on a cup of Ethiopia coffee or a bag of Ethiopia coffee. And sometimes there'll be another bag of Ethiopia coffee right next to it that doesn't say anything or that says washed on it. And so that question of what is the difference between these two Ethiopias? What is the difference between washed and natural? Well, at some point, coffee farmers or people that work with coffee farmers have to get the seeds, the beans, out of the coffee cherry. And then they ship them over here to the United States or to wherever where they get roasted and then we grind them, and then we brew them into this delicious cup that we drink. But to get those beans out of that cherry, well, it's actually not 
super simple. Cherry skin is kind of a little bit tough. Uh, there's all this fruit in there. There's a couple different layers inside the cherry. So how do we get these beans out of the cherry? That is what we're talking about when we talk about natural versus washed. It's the processing that the farm is doing to send a product over to, to a roaster that they can actually produce. Exactly. And being in the coffee business, we always say, oh, natural versus washed is the processing. But processing literally means how do we get the bean out of the cherry? Most places in the world, if you're going down to Colombia, if you're in Guatemala, if you're you know, in Kenya, they're going to soak the cherries in a big pool of water. They're going to fill up this big bucket full of water and dump all their coffee cherries in and they leave them soaking there for a whole day. And then at the end of the day, they let all the water out. The cherries are all soft and sort of fall off the beans and they can then put it on a conveyor belty type device that helps them sort the beans from these soaking wet, soggy cherry pieces. Okay, so that's wash processing. It's the most common way to produce coffee in the world is to wash the cherry off the bean. Mm -hmm. But coffee comes from Ethiopia originally, and Ethiopia in Africa has a lot of dry desert type climate to it. So you, it's pretty hard to come upon a swimming pool full of water, you know, for some of these coffee producers. Back when they first started producing coffee and drinking coffee, they didn't even have the idea to do this whole pool of water thing. And so they would set the cherries out in the sun to dry and become little raisins. And then they could easily peel open the cherry and pull out the beans, and then they can ship them and roast them. Sure. So nowadays, that's actually a little bit more labor intensive. It, it takes some more time. There's some things that can go wrong. You know, the, the cherries can rot badly. But the two most common processing methods we see, and again, by processing, we're talking about how to remove the bean from the coffee cherry. The two most common processing methods we see are washed, where we wash the cherry off the bean and then dry the beans, or natural, where we dry the beans and the cherry together, creating these little raisins, and then we peel them open and pull the beans out. This might be a dumb question, but can we just like pick a, cher uh, a coffee cherry off a tree and eat it? Absolutely. And most of the coffee pickers that work the fields, um, that work in between these big giant coffee bushes... When they need a snack, when they're feeling a little little snackish, they'll pull a cherry right off the branch and eat it and spit those seeds out. And I've eaten a fair number of coffee cherries, and they're actually pretty tasty. They taste sort of like lychee or cherry, of course, or maybe like grape. They're somewhere in between there. They're, they're a, sort of a lighter fruit, a little bit tart, a little bit sweet. Uh, they taste better than you'd expect. They're not bitter. Maybe that's like, we should go into business. We can take... We can take coffee beans, dip them in chocolate, then shove them back into these shupped cherries and then dip them in chocolate again. That just sounds delicious to me. I think maybe we should save those type of business ideas for times when we're not on a podcast together. That's right. I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of do forget about it sometimes when we're talking. So one more thing on coffee processing is that there is sort of a middle ground. Because there are so many layers to this coffee cherry, you have the skin, you have the fruit. And then you have this one last layer around the beans called the mucilage is like the stickier layer that's kind of whitish. There's also semi-washed processing out there where they remove the skin and some of the fruit with a machine and then they dry it in part of the cherry, but not all of it. And that sort of gets sort of this middle ground effect and different parts of the world do it a little differently. So it's very common in Brazil 
they call it pulped natural down there in Sumatra, uh, an island in Indonesia. They do it a little bit differently than that. And they call that one wet hulled. And then in Central America, it's really popular to use a specific machine to do it. And that machine can sometimes be calibrated to remove different amounts of the cherry. So they call that honey processing. Hmm. And sometimes they do more or less honey left on the cherry. And by, by honey, we mean that last mucilage layer, that, that sweet, white, sticky layer that's left inside the fruit. That's really interesting. I know um, uh, I spoke to Manzanita Roasting Company. And if you go on the Manzanita website, they have very detailed descriptions of the coffee beans that they sell, as much information as they can find. So if you're out there and you're trying to learn more about coffees or see what someone's information is, they will tell you on their site like what the processing was, where it came from, you know, the altitude it was grown at, the type of dirt that the, 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 the coffee plant was in, you know, as much as you can imagine. And some of that relates to this type of processing. So you can find out uh, very quickly more details on the coffee you're drinking. That's so awesome they do that because all of that really has an effect on the coffee's taste ultimately. Well, Chris, thank you for joining me again on uh, Getting Coffee Smarter with Roast West Coast. I appreciate you being here, sir. Oh, it's a real pleasure as always, and I can't wait for next week. I've heard Chris, that is Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting, talk about all of this stuff before, and you may have too. But it's still nice to brush up on that coffee info, and it makes me appreciate all of these cups I'm making at home just a little bit more. Thank you for checking back into the show this week. If you've been listening and you're wanting to recommend a great coffee roastery or a coffee professional from the West Coast that you think should be on the show, hit me up on Instagram at RoastWestCoast. One roastery I would like to get on the show is Cartel Coffee, based out of Arizona, but with a location in Palm Springs, California. I popped in after a quick overnight in Joshua Tree, and not only did I have a great hospitality experience, but their standard drip coffee, their 48 blend, was really excellent. And after a cold, very cold night under a giant moon in the desert, it was the perfect way to distract myself from the traffic through Riverside, which, if you don't live in Southern California, is where all of the traffic from everywhere, going anywhere, converges. But I gotta get off that tangent. Season 4 is going to be our biggest season yet and I certainly appreciate the heads up on whose stories you want to learn more about. One of the coffee roasters you're going to meet next season is Tyler Whitehead. He is the entrepreneur, founder, and roaster behind Ignite Coffee Company, based in Oceanside, California. Ignite is coming aboard as one of this show's industry partners, and I couldn't be more stoked. I'm looking forward to learning more about Tyler, the coffee he is ethically sourcing, and why he was inspired to get into the coffee game. A lot of our industry partners have appeared on the show both before and after becoming supporters. And I'm always looking for opportunities to pop into one of these shops, including Cafe La Terre, Moster Coffee, Coffee Cycle, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Steady State Roasting, or Camp Coffee Company. Then late in the day, I'll top a decaf Marea coffee with some First Light whiskey and take a moment to say thanks to Joe over at Cape Horn Coffee Importers for always saying nice things about me. I'll be back next week with another classics episode all about the relative strength of a cup of coffee and how the grind of a coffee bean can impact quality and flavor. 
The new Season 4 episodes will start dropping the first week of February 2022. Until then, head to RoastWestCoast.com to check out all the other coffee content. When in doubt, head to RoastWestCoast.com. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. I hope you have a happy holiday season, and please always tip your baristas and be sure to drink good coffee.